Welcome to Connecting the Dollars, a personal finance podcast. I'm Emily Augusto, a CPA and financial advisor. And I'm Amanda Vaught, an attorney and financial advisor, and we both work at Propel Financial Advisors. Propel Financial Advisors is an investment management and financial planning company. We are fee-only, independent registered investment advisors and work with clients nationwide. The purpose of our podcast is to explore personal finance topics, including budgeting, investing, behavioral finance, current happenings in the markets and the news, and any other topics we think our listeners might find interesting or helpful. We also hope you get to know us along the way. Thanks for listening. Today's episode features a discussion about the Fed with our colleague, David Vaught. We wanted to cover the Fed to explain how what they do or don't do can have a large impact on the markets like the stock market or, you know, everyday markets like the grocery store and how that affects everyone. You know, I was just thinking last week we went to the grocery store and a gallon of milk was almost ten dollars. And, you know, I'm like, wow, I can't believe milk's so expensive. And then if you, you know, you think about it, it's supply chain issues, COVID lockdowns affecting dairy farmers, and just inflation. And what the Fed is doing with the interest rates is going to impact inflation. So that's just one example of how, you know, the Fed is this, you know, body out there you may or may not pay attention to, but what they're doing is affecting your day-to-day life. Yeah, that's a great point. So the Fed set those interest rates and, and it not only affects com- consumer prices, as Amanda was talking about, but it also can increase wage rates and affects the value of the dollar. So, for example, a lot of people have been receiving COLA increases to their salaries, which is great. And they've typically been a little higher than in recent years. So if someone receives about 5% wage increase, you also need to think about how that affects your retirement and think about maybe you need to increase your retirement by 5% as well. Yeah. And, I, you know, I would say for regular people, maybe it isn't necessary to pay attention to every little thing that the Fed does day to day, like some um, financial type people do. But um, just have a general background and a better understanding of what they're doing and, and how their decisions they make can really impact the economy. We think can help you make better financial decisions in the long term. We hope you enjoy the discussion. We wanted David here today to talk more about the Fed or the Federal Reserve as its full name. The Fed is in the news a lot, uh, especially lately, or at least in the financial news. And I think for a lot of non-financial people, they just sort of tune it out or they don't really appreciate the significance of uh, what's going on at the Fed. So we wanted David here to give some background on the Fed and just try to explain what's going on recently with the Fed in a way that just regular people, non-financial people, you know, I'm not trying to say financial people aren't regular, But I'm just trying to say that, you know, in a way that, you know, people who don't work in financial sector could understand and better understand how it could apply to them and their personal finances. Yep. So, David, what are your thoughts here? What is important for us to be looking at? Well, I think the Fed's in in the news. It's it's really generally called as the central power on monetary policy. 
which has to do with how much money is in the system and how that makes the economy work better or worse or how it fights inflation or stimulates uh, the reduction of unemployment. Those are its two main functions. But the, the, the two points that uh, I've been hearing some questions about are what are these terms that we hear about the Fed? And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about taper. You know, it's a, not a commonly used word about a lot of things. Uh, and liftoff. Uh, but those are in the Fed news. Uh, taper refers to the Fed's uh, plan or anticipated plan to reduce the purchase of long-term treasury securities. Mostly the Fed deals with short-term interest rates most of the time, but starting back in the, in the uh, last recession, back in 2008 and 2009, which affected uh, mortgage rates a lot and the whole mortgage market a lot, the Fed started buying longer-term securities, mortgage-backed securities, which were all part of that recession, and, uh, and longer-term treasury securities as a way to try to get interest rates down so that people could get back in the mortgage market. It had frozen up and it was in deep trouble in that last recession. So in the current recession, the, the pandemic recession, uh, the Fed began to expand its balance sheet and it, it included the purchase of these longer-term securities, again, trying to keep long-term interest rates down, not just short-term interest rates. Uh, Can I just interrupt you there with a question really quick? Yeah. Um, so if the Fed is in charge of the interest rates, why is the Fed buying these mortgage-backed securities in an attempt to control interest rates if they're the one who controls them? Could you just explain how no, that works a little bit? That's the tech. That's one of the techniques they use is to is to to buy and sell uh, securities, especially uh, treasury securities, and more recently these mortgage-backed securities. Uh, and you know, by the effects of supply and demand, that actually can change the rate structure. But because the Fed has this authority to essentially what's commonly called print money, create money, it can uh, it use that created money to, to do these things. So it's changing the overall amount of currency that's out there, the amount of money that's out there. And it did that in this recent recession by expanding its uh, its balance sheet way up into seven or eight trillion dollars. Back in the last recession, we were talking about two or three trillion dollars on the Fed balance sheet. And we we talked about that in our, our last webinar. If people want to hear hear more about it. But but tapering is important because at some point the Fed often needs to uh, undo these things. In other words, you can't print money forever and just kind of ignore its consequences. And as the concern about inflation has increased. Uh, the Fed has uh, been signaling that it's going to let interest rates rise a little bit. As interest rates rise, that tends to slow down uh, the growth of the economy a little bit. It tends to slow inflation down a little bit. So one of the first steps they're going to take in that direction is what's called taper. Taper means they're just going to buy less of those securities. It doesn't mean they're going to sell all of them or dump them all on the market once, all at once. But over a period of a few months, Instead of buying $50 billion worth of these securities a month, let's just think about that amount of money, somebody buying $50 billion worth of securities every month and keeping it up. That's what they've been doing to keep mortgage rates low, and it's worked. Mortgage rates are very low. A lot of people have been refinancing their homes, buying new homes. That stimulates the economy when that happens, and so that's what they're doing. But as they taper, they're going to undo that a little bit. 
And a few years ago, uh, there was another taper term that got used because the markets, the bond market reacting, it reacted negatively when the Fed became to tape, began to taper. And that's called the taper tantrum, the uh, tantrum that the markets had, like a two-year-old having a tantrum. The markets were kind of having a tantrum that the Fed was tapering. And so you would hear this in the news and you go, what is going on? These are not two-year-olds. This is federal monetary policy. But they're using these fairly common terms, I think, to try to create some understanding. Uh, but when they do it, they often create misunderstanding. Well, would you say the tantrum occurred in the stock market or the tantrum occurred in the economy? Originally in the bond market, which affected the stock market and which often affects the economy. So it, it was a little bit of all three. So when people began to lose confidence in the way the growth numbers or the uh, economic improvements and unemployment begin to change, uh, it changes their investment outlook. It changes their economic outlook. It may change as well how businesses decide to spend money or expand employment and so forth. So those are all related effects that the Fed is trying to, to, use, a, to use a pretty uh, blatant word, manipulate in ways that are helpful. Uh, sometimes, you know, it backfires and doesn't work as well as they hope. Mm -hmm. And when you say the Fed is buying um, these securities, where is that money coming from? Can you explain how that works? And if they start tapering, does that mean, where is that money going if they're not spending it on the securities? The common phrase is printing money. If the Congress uh, spends money that it's not raising by taxes, uh, very often they're spending borrowed money and very often the, the the group that's buying the bonds that are issued to borrow the money is the Fed itself, except they're, they're doing that by creating money. Um, you know, the government can coin money and can print money, print currency, but the Fed often does it with what are called balance sheet operations. They simply manipulate their balance sheets and their requirements uh, for their member banks you know, the, the banks in this country all belong to a regional uh, Federal Reserve Bank, you know, whether it's the Chicago Federal Reserve Bank or the New York Federal Reserve Bank or the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank. And through its operations at the New York Fed and these, these regional banks, they have impact on the banking system. When you, when you make more funds available to lend in the economy, you are essentially creating money. And that's what the Fed does. I have a question for both Amanda and David. Um, based on what we've been seeing in the news a lot, I think a lot of people or a lot of opinion columns have been coming out saying that they think the Fed strategy is a little too optimistic and this plan can potentially put us further into a recession in the coming years if, for example, unemployment doesn't recover um, or if inflation doesn't come down. So what are your thoughts on that? That's the danger of what often is called stagflation. We had that back in the 70s, where you had stagnant, a stagnant economy where unemployment, unemployment was getting worse or unemployment was not growing or businesses in, in the economy were not growing. So that was the stagnant part. And at the same time, you had inflation, which meant everything is costing more for more people, uh, which creates a lot of pain among consumers and businesses uh, as they try to adjust their, the, the prices they sell their products for in an inflationary environment where sales are not growing. So that's a very negative effect. If the Fed gets things wrong, that's one of the negative uh, scenarios uh, that some people are worried about. 
Fed's not trying to do that. Right. <laughs> they, they like <laughs> tight inflation. They like to keep inflation down, but they also like to get unemployment down. And so very often those two operate at cross purposes. And so, you know, the major mess up is to get them both going in the wrong direction at the same time. That's what stagflation is. Just seems like a fine line there that the, the Fed needs to to hoe. It is. And it's, and it's complicated, which is why I think a lot of people are confused by it. Uh, but the markets tend to follow the Fed. If the Fed, with all of its, if all of its PhD economists and all its, its, its interrelationship between the, the, the Fed governors appointed by the president and the Fed presidents that are selected by member banks out of the private sector, the Fed is a, is a, is a hybrid that brings together some elements of government and some elements of the private sector to try to influence the economy in a positive way. And so that's not a simple process. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, how would this apply for, you know, the regular people we mentioned earlier who are trying to save money for retirement or maybe they're approaching retirement or they're in retirement, you know, what is this going to do to their investments, but also should they be changing their behavior in light of the anticipated fed action? I mean, at the end of the day, the interest rates are going to go up at some point, hopefully. I don't think we're going to go to negative interest rates. I know some people think that's possible. But, um, you know, if interest rates are going to go up eventually, that's probably going to make the stock market go down a little bit or at least not grow as much, right? Which is going to impact the amount of your return you get in your investment account. Or, you know, inflation is going to go up and you're going to need more money to live off of when you retire or if you're currently retired. Um, so I would think for, you know, people still saving for retirement, what this means is that you need to save more money. That's often always true, Amanda. And it gets more complicated because a lot of conservative investors or people that are in retirement are using bank accounts and bank CDs and bonds to actually create the cash flow they need in retirement. When the Fed is, this policy in the recession is to keep those interest rates low, low those people are suffering. Their income is not, is not growing. Interest rates are low and they affect them. And, in the, and that same low rate bond market also affects the pension funds that are investing people's money. Uh, mm -hmm. that buy lots of bonds. So, and it, anybody, but anybody money. drawing Social Security is getting really good cola increases now. As inflation so, goes up, they're going to get good cola increases. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just saying there's always two sides to every coin. You know, it might hurt pension returns, but it's good for people drawing Social Security. That's so, correct. And your, your, your comment about how it affects the stock market is also really important because. The stock market is often driven by many factors, but two of them are earnings and then how you discount those earnings to arrive at a valuation, right? So uh, if interest rates are very low, that supports high price earnings ratios and it supports high valuations in the stock market. And we've been seeing that in this low interest rate environment, that that's part of one of the driving forces of the, of the market going up. If interest rates go up, which we think they're going to do, and the Fed says it's going to do, then uh, that, that puts pressure on those valuations in the stock market. And if they uh, slow the economy too much, it also puts pressure on the earnings of those companies uh, as well. So uh, those effects are going to be very much apparent and they're, 
one of the reasons we're seeing a choppy and volatile stock market today. Yeah, so this is something that obviously us as investment advisors, we're paying attention to, but the takeaway at the end of the day for the average investor might you know, not be to really do anything drastic or is there something more specific that the kind of the bottom line for um, maybe our clients would be? Well, uh, you know, we say that all the time, you know, diversification is usually your friend uh, to make sure that you're well represented in the market and participating in its positive moves, but uh, also being a little bit uh, protective if it moves in the other way. But staying the course in that is generally the best alternative to doing that with relatively small adjustments in portfolios that either make them a little more aggressive or a little more uh, conservative based on these conditions. It, one of the things that, that I talked about the other day that I wanted to mention in the podcast is, you know, are these gloom and doom stories that just scare people significantly. You know, a lot of them are out there. Uh, often they're exaggerated or made up and fictional. Sometimes they're just sales pitches to convince people to, to scare people enough that they'll do something like the dollar is going to go way down. You better buy some gold. That's a sales pitch that's kind of, you know, often has some, some, not all, but some um, uh, negative uh, predictions built into it that I call gloom and doom predictions because they're often exaggerated. So I mentioned the other day, some of our investors, a, a book that I recently read by Lawrence Lindsay that's a gloom and doom book. It's called The Currency War. And it talks about what would happen in a novel. This is a novel, it's fiction, an interesting story, but because Lawrence Lindsay has been a Fed governor, he's not the typical gloom and doom person who's just spreading a bunch of scary stories to convince people to buy something or do something. He's been a Fed governor. He's been right in the heart of the system. And so when he writes about these potential negative effects, he writes about them with a lot more knowledge and a lot more reality than you sometimes see. So his story in that book is about what if the Chinese, the leading uh, holder of U.S. Treasury bonds, they have billions and billions of dollars worth of Treasury bonds that they have purchased by the People's Bank of China and other entities in China. What if China decided we're tired of the dollar being the key currency of the world? Let's cause a little crisis in the dollar by selling all of our Treasury bonds all at once, all the same day. We want to be paid for them right now. If the Fed in, in, the, in the U.S. economy and the government are, are, are saying that their currency is strong and safe and treasury bonds are safe, then we ought to be able to sell them uh, all at once. It's kind of like a run on the bank, except a run on the Federal Reserve System in, in the United States could have very disastrous consequences. So Lawrence Linsley wrote a, wrote a novel about that. It's, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, so if you want to read a novel about how we could have a big currency war caused by the Chinese and what effect it might have on our economy. You know, if you want to stir up some of your own fears a little bit, I won't tell the end of the story. It ends positively, but um, I'll leave that to the readers that might want to think about that. But don't tell but, me everybody switches to crypto in the end. <laughs> no, no okay. it's not about, it's not really about crypto. Although crypto is, is a challenge of a sort to regulated currencies, whether they be, uh, the euro or the uh, the Chinese yuan or the Japanese yen or whatever, uh, those all operate in a regulatory system that, uh, you know, keeps track of who's paying taxes and who's not paying taxes and who's borrowing money and who's not borrowing money. 
and to some extent, crypto is seeking to escape from that a little bit and essentially create a more free market in a, in a new form of currency. This book's not about that. Uh, but some of the people that are urging people to buy crypto are engaging in these gloom and doom stories, uh, you know, to try to sell crypto too, just like they try to sell gold and some other things. Yeah, we could probably do a whole entire episode on crypto. We probably should too. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly in the news and it's, and it, I, it's a little more confusing, I think. I mean, the Fed is confusing because it's complex. Uh, crypto is confusing because it, it has some complexities, but it's also very new and different. Yeah, definitely. A difficult thing about crypto is that when you're trying to, you know, find information about it, a lot of the information sources are people who are trying to sell you crypto. You you can't find a neutral source or I mean, you can, but it's more difficult because it is really swamped with people trying to convince you to buy it. Yeah, that's a really good point. At, at the beginning, you mentioned two terms you wanted to go through. One was taper and the other was... Liftoff. Liftoff. Lift and I don't think you covered liftoff, actually. No, no, I didn't. Did I miss it? No, liftoff is kind of the second stage that the Fed is, is, is considering, and that would be the change in its short-term interest rates. We've been talking about long-term interest rates when we talk about taper, but mostly and traditionally, the Fed controls the Fed funds rate, which is a short-term interest rate. And it uh, is expected that Sometime in late 2022 or 2023, nobody knows exactly when. The Fed doesn't even know exactly when. What they say is they're going to do it whenever the the uh, the indicators, the financial indicators, say that that's it's the right time, and they'll decide when what what that is. So everybody wonders when is the Fed going to do liftoff? And it's not a space shot. It has nothing to do with space or missiles or anything like that. It's when the Fed is going to start raising short-term interest rates. So that's another term that you may hear out there. It's a little further away in terms of when it's going to happen. Uh, but that'll be a big change as well that the Fed will uh, bring about. A lot of what I see is the Fed is expected to raise rates in 2022. But I have seen, I recently saw someone saying they could raise them in November, you know, as in a month. So I think, you know, people in finance, they try to take out their crystal ball and predict these things and. It's a little bit of a fool's errand, but you could know that it, it's coming. We just yeah. don't know exactly when. Well, it's a lot of the people that are wanting to do it sooner are worried about inflation. And there are a lot of other people, both in the government and in, in private economists, who, are, who think this is more transitory. And it's been the Fed's position that the current bump up infl of inflation year over year is up over 5% 5, 5 now. That's that's a pretty significant number, but if it's just transitory and it's coming back down, it's much less of a problem. Mm -hmm. But if it's not transitory, if that's, you know, if the Fed has kind of lost control of inflation, that's a different thing. And that would cause liftoff to be much sooner. I know. I think we're getting short on time, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on um, Powell being up for reappointed. I know there's some talk that Biden might appoint someone new. Do you think if Biden appoints a new person, they'll continue with this general policy as Powell has, or you think they'll take a step in the other direction? Is there anything the people should be looking for? The president can appoint who he wants, and but very often presidents like the stability of keeping the same Fed chair, even though you know a lot of members of their party, like Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren, has been very critical of Chairman Powell. 
uh, a lot of people in in the the financial community and the economic community have thought he's done better than expected. He, you know, uh, and some people that were skeptical about him being a Trump appointee uh, are kind of surprised that uh, he, he hasn't been as bad as they expected. So it, it it it's hard to say what the president may do. It's up to him. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna signal it much in advance of actually making his decision. But the term is, is near up. He could put in somebody new or he could keep uh, Chairman Powell in place. He has seven appointments on the Board of Governors as well. So if he wants to influence the Board of Governors of the uh, Federal Reserve System, you know, he can do that with those other appointments. There's been a lot of talk about the vice chair as well. The vice chair is by statute required to be much more involved in the regulation of banks. And so if there are abuses in the banking system or things that need to be regulated in the banking system, that vice chair is also a very important appointment that the president has. Yeah. And then there's new, I mean, there's been several resignations recently over the, um, I don't know, are they calling it insider trading or conflict of interest over the Fed's um, members trading stocks out of their personal accounts? Well, there were some that were clearly violations of the Fed's rules, the Fed's ethical rules. And then there were some that were borderline that caused people to question whether the rules need to be a little tougher. Those resignations were not from the Board of Governors. If you, I'm referring back to our webinar where we talked about this hybrid structure. The Board of Governors is appointed by the president. The, the regional uh, Fed presidents, that's where the scandal was, are elected by member banks. They come from the private sector. So they have to comply with the ethical requirements of the Federal Reserve System, uh, but their accountability runs a little different than, uh, than people that can be removed or, or reappointed or replaced by the president. I was just going to ask Emily if she had any other final thoughts or questions for Damon. I think that that was a really great deep dive into what's going on in the news currently. And I wanted to make sure that we give you the information on the books that David mentioned. And so we will put those links in our show notes on connectingthedollars.com. We'll also share a link for the webinar that David mentioned um, that we did back in June that, that gives a good kind of overview of the history of the Fed and its structure and historical interest rates. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for that economic discussion. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back on again for a future episode. So, Thank you. For all links and resources mentioned today, head over to connectingthedollars.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services. 